This is The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. The Political Insider is your inside source on politics from the White House to the State House and all points in between. If it's in the headlines, The Political Insider will have the story. Let's get started. Here's Bill Ballinger. Michigan Radio Land. It was another hot and furious week in Michigan politics and government. Believe it or not, Christmas week was big time politics and government in Michigan because even though the 99th Michigan legislature is now de facto adjourned for the year, we had a number of developments. First of all, uh, incoming Governor Gretchen Whitmer has made most of her major department director cabinet appointments announced this week. She's got a few left to make. Maybe she's making them this weekend. She's sworn into office on Tuesday, New Year's Day. So we should get maybe all of them named by that time. Also, Governor Rick Snyder has been left a monumental task by the outgoing 99th Michigan legislature, their historic lame duck session. They sent him 408 bills. He is pouring through them hour by hour, day by day. He's got to address all of them by Tuesday, January 1st. He has already signed and he has vetoed a whole bunch of them, but he's still got hundreds to go. And as we talk, uh, he's probably taking action on some that are going to be outdated for me to even talk about, although I'll try and bring them up in just a minute or two. This Thursday, for instance, he signed... 47 bills, and he vetoed 11, including among the 11 were three that you could say were quasi-controversial. One of them uh, would have allowed the Auditor General to gain access to confidential information in executive branch agencies, which he said was an overreach by the legislative branch of government. Because remember, the Auditor General is appointed by the legislature, not the governor, to oversee the execution of executive branch programs. So that could be a signal that the governor plans to take some action on some other bills that we have yet to hear about from him as to whether he's going to sign them that might also involve encroachment by the legislative branch on the executive branch. He also vetoed a bill that would have changed the way the state approves billboards. I won't go into that, but the third one I'll mention is this so-called baby box bill that I think everybody thought was going to be signed pretty easily. It would allow uh, for parents of newborn infants who perhaps do not want their identities known or don't want to get in trouble with the law to leave their uh, babies, uh, their infants, their urchins, their newborns in what is called a newborn safety device and leave it off at a police or a fire station or a hospital. And the governor vetoed it. He said uh, it does not allow for uh, enough interaction between the parents and an actual human being, a person like a police officer and a fireman, that they would be able to give their newborn infant to. Now, interestingly, the sponsors of these bills were a pair of Republican female legislators, Bronna Colley 
of Adrian and Dare Rendon of Lake City. And it's going to be interesting to see whether the legislature maybe comes back and it reintroduces those in the next session, the 100th Michigan legislature that convenes next month, January 2019, and sends those to a female governor who might look at the legislation differently or maybe not. We'll have to wait and see. But a whole bunch of other bills still pending, waiting action, bill that would grade schools on an A through F scale, a bill that would extend the sunset deadline on telemedicine abortions, ban, another bill that would expand the eligibility for non-certified substitute teachers. There's fireworks legislation. There's legislation involving tinted windows, auto cycle handlebars, ballot petition fraud, Freedom of Information Act. There's a big gambling package that has gone to him, the governor, uh, which would allow for fantasy sports gambling, internet gambling, cell phone horse tracks, simulcasting gambling, new charitable gaming regulations. There is legislation that would provide more, uh, or I should say reduce wetlands uh, protections. There's a lot of stuff going on that he has to take action on. He's got to do it by Tuesday. So it's like a circus in the governor's office, getting no rest over the holidays leading up to New Year's Eve. And I'm just going to take this opportunity before we go to our first guest to uh, award my uh, winners and losers of the year. And I would say, first of all, I'm going to break it down into executive branch, legislative branch, and judicial branch winners and losers of the year. Executive branch loser of the year, I'm going to say it's the Michigan Republican Party because they lost all four of the major constitutional officers as governor, lieutenant governor, attorney general, secretary of state in one fell swoop all at once. They had them for the last eight years. Now they're gone for the first time since, get this, 1938, three years before World War II started. So Michigan Republican Party did not fare well this year. They are the losers. Executive branch winners of the year, I'm going to say it's the big three. The three incoming female executive officers, the governor, Gretchen Whitmer, the secretary of state, Jocelyn Benson, the attorney general, Dana Nessel. Let's call them the three horsewomen of the apocalypse. At least that's the way the Republicans look at them. They're the winners. They're taking over on Tuesday, January 1st, for the next four years. We go to legislative branch winners of the year. I'm going to say there's Senator Rick Jones, who got 171 of his bills enacted into law during his tenure in the Senate. He is now term limited. He has uh, just a day or two left before he is forced to vacate office. And I'm going to make the co-winner of the year Tom Casperson, who is an Upper Peninsula state senator the 38th district. He was a major player in the Senate. He even got Democrats to come over and join him in accomplishing the uh, Line 5 Enbridge Tunnel Mackinac Straits amendments and appointment of an authority, which we're going to get to in a minute. And I'm also going to make another winner of the year, the Speaker-designate of the House, Lee Chatfield, Republican of Levering. He surmounted being caught at an airport with a loaded gun last summer, winning re-election, getting elected speaker, and he set up all his new committees already 
and he'll be the youngest Michigan speaker, I think, ever in the entire history of Michigan. Loser of the year, there are four of them. David Knizek, a state senator, Democrat from Dearborn Heights, who lost in a primary to Betty Jane Alexander in the 5th District. Two Democrats in the House. Patrick Green, a Democrat of Warren, got beat by a woman, Lori Stone, in the 28th District in the Democratic primary last August, even though he had easily defeated her two years earlier to win a single term in the state house. She never stopped campaigning. She came back and beat him. Lastly, Ken Summers, a Democrat of Barraga, who lost the general election in the 110th district in the western upper peninsula, and he was the only Democrat out of 148 running in the general election who went backward in terms of losing a seat for his party. The Democrats did not lose another seat other than Ken Summers in the 110th district who lost to Republican Greg Markinen. Now, judicial branch winner of the year, I'm going to say it's Justice Bridget McCormick, Democrat who won't have to run again until 2020. She didn't even run this year, and she's the winner of the year because she picked up an extra Democratic colleague on the state Supreme Court. There are now three Democrats on the Supreme Court, Richard Bernstein, and we've also got Megan Kavanaugh now as the recently elected justice elected on November 6th in the general election. So it's now a four to three Supreme Court, four Republicans, three Democrats rather than five, two. And there's every prospect that Bridget McCormick will be able to pick off a couple of Republicans anytime she really needs them in David Viviano and Beth Clement, who have already done that. Judicial branch loser of the year must be Unfortunately for him, Curtis Wilder, who was an appointed member of the Supreme Court by Rick Snyder, the governor, had been on the court for about a year and a half. He lost his seat on the state Supreme Court to Megan Kavanaugh. And uh, so the Republicans went from five members down to four. So it was a huge year for the Democrats in Michigan, a bad year for the Republicans. So uh, we are going to be back in a minute. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MDN. Here's Bill. We are back with a very special guest. He is the former uh, Republican leader in the State House of Representatives many years ago and also uh, the founder of a very prominent uh, law firm, lobbying firm in Lansing, uh, Kelly Cawthorn. Uh, Dennis O. Cawthorn, thank you so much for being with us. Well, good morning, Bill, and thank you. It's a pleasure to be on your show. Okay. We've got to mention that uh, Mr. Cawthorn was, for a record 19 and a half years, the chairman of the Mackinac Island Park Commission, um, and I think 21 years altogether. Is that correct? Uh, That is correct, Bill. And I want to just ask you this question. I want to talk about the uh, Line 5 tunnel under the Straits of Mackinac, uh, everything has gone on with that, uh, the Enbridge pipeline, the oil pipeline, very controversial, and the activity that the legislature and Governor Snyder undertook in the last week or two of the lame duck session to push through bills affecting that. Tell us what really went on there and what remains to happen, in your opinion. Well, it really is sort of a 
crazy quilt story, and uh, to, to, to go to the beginning, but to not dwell too long on it, what happened was the Snyder administration decided that they wanted to wholeheartedly endorse this idea of a tunnel under the Straits of Mackinac uh, that would encase a uh, oil pipeline, the, the Enbridge oil pipeline, and as well as perhaps provide for some other utilities. And uh, they uh, decided to somehow uh, latch onto the Mackinac Bridge Authority as being the legal entity that they wanted to have be the uh, essentially the builder and the overseer of the tunnel. Well, when they introduced the legislation, which was Senate Bill 1197 by Senator Tom Casperson of Escanaba, they then made the Mackinac Bridge Authority that overseer and that builder. Well, that caused a real furor, and that's how I happened to get involved, because I thought that that was absolutely the wrong entity, the wrong way to go. The Mackinac Bridge Authority uh, bill had, had you know, a sterling reputation uh, in, in managing the, 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 the bridge, and I felt, along with many others, that to, to, make the, to involve the Mackinac Bridge Authority in this uh, pipeline endeavor was absolutely the wrong way. Uh, we kicked up a, a storm, and, and basically the, the Snyder administration backed off. And uh, but but they were unable to, in their own minds, able to uh, introduce a whole separate bill because they didn't think there was enough time left in the legislative session to do that. So what they did was to amend that original bill involving the Mackinac Bridge Authority and and, and create kind of a hybrid. What they, what they said in that bill, as they amended it, was that the bridge authority initially would have control and jurisdiction over the pipeline, but as soon as a new tunnel authority, a separate one, was created and its members appointed at that second, all responsibility for the tunnel would shift to this new uh, tunnel authority. They call it a corridor authority. Yeah, it, it, yeah. The, the correct word really is corridor. You're, you're right. Yeah. It's not tunnel, but but it you know tunnel equals corridor, corridor right. equals tunnel. Right. But you're right. Technically, it is the corridor authority. Well, uh, what happened was that, that 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 bill, as amended, did pass, although certainly not unanimously by any means. And literally 20 minutes after it became law. The governor appointed um, members of this new corridor or tunnel authority, which meant at that at that second, uh, all responsibility for the tunnel now shifted from the Mackinac Bridge Authority to the new tunnel authority. Well, um, uh, some of us, however, uh, have taken the position that the statute, as passed may very well have constitutional problems, um, and there are two of them. One is that this law that, 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 that passed, whereby the MBA had authority and then it shifted to the new tunnel authority upon the appointment of members, we believe that that, that new law violates Article 4, Section 24 of the state constitution, which is a ban on dual objects in legislation and changes of purpose. You know, I, I could, could go into a long speech on that, but, but, but basically we believe that, that the bill violates Article 5 uh, uh, 
uh, rather Article of, of Four, right. Section Twenty Four. But then there is another issue, and frankly, a lot of us didn't see this. The guy who found this issue was a kind of a perennial gadfly, <laughs> Robert Davis, out of Oakland County. He pointed out that the that this bill creating the Tunnel Authority provides for six-year terms for its members. And the state constitution, we believe, in uh, Article 5, Section 3, bans terms for new boards that are longer than four years, and, and, and this statute calls for a six-year board. Wow. So we, we think there's a real problem there. And, and then uh, one of the first appointees in the governor's haste to get people he wanted uh, on, the, uh, on the board was to appoint someone who we believed was ineligible. Uh, and and I, I raised that point with the person who was appointed, and lo and behold, they suddenly resigned from their position. And then a second member who was appointed by the governor resigned his position because he was caught on, uh, I don't know if it was on tape or what it was, uh, but uh, I think it was in social media. Yeah, he social, put out yeah, some social insulting media. remarks uh, about uh, Guess who? Governor yeah, Snyder. Yeah, about Republicans <laughs> and, the, and the governor, and, and, and comparing the state police to Nazis. So he right. was forced to resign. So of the first three appointees to the new tunnel authority, two uh, were basically uh, forced to resign. But, but Bill, here's the, uh, here's the, here's the, 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 the problem that now remains. If it is true, as Mr. Davis says, that the six-year terms are invalid, then it could be argued that uh, the actions of this board, the new board, the, the, the final three appointees, right. it could be argued that, that their uh, uh, ratification of the treaties with Enbridge are null and void because they were, they were not properly appointed. And so some of us believe that, that, that there's a good argument that the... Uh, uh, Enbridge agreements that were forged by the governor are null and void, and we also believe there's a good chance that the whole statute, this whole new statute, creating the authority uh, uh, to build the, the tunnel, we, we believe there's a good argument that this, the statute's null and void, and um, uh, and therefore well, isn't this, collapse it, like isn't this what uh, what critics would often say is uh, the result of haste, uh, you know? Uh, too, oh yeah! Trying to do too much in too short a span of time. Uh, obviously, a whole bunch of mistakes were made. Yeah, yes, they were. Uh, it, it really was uh, uh, kind of a clown car toward the end, and and uh, and all these issues, which I think are, are are good, legitimate issues, are are arising to to prove that point. Okay, we're going to have to take a break here, but we'll be back to continue this conversation with Dennis Cawthorn, former chairman of the Mackinac Island Park Commission, uh, who has been following the Enbridge Line 5 controversy very closely in the last few weeks. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We have returned with Mr. Dennis O. Cawthorn, who was chairman of the Mackinac Island 
Park Commission for a record 19 and a half years and is uh, an expert, really, on just about everything going on in the Straits of Mackinac. And uh, Dennis Cawthorn, I just want to ask you, where do we go from here? I mean, <laughs> after after this clown car routine at the end of calendar year 2018 in the legislature and with the governor's office on the way they tried to handle this, what can happen next? Or what will happen next? What do you well, think? Well, Bill, that is a very good question. I, I, I do know uh, that um, the attorney general's office and and uh, is uh, the the office transition office of the new attorney general is looking very, very carefully at what happened with this legislation. And uh, I think that it's quite likely uh, they are preparing to take some steps. I don't know. They, they, they might take the position of Mr. Davis and others that, that uh, the, the act creating the, the tunnel authority is null and void. I, I, I don't know, but I know, we're, I know we're heading for litigation, and I know what, what the legislature did and the Snyder administration did in its final days will, will not go unchallenged, because there are also some environmental groups out there who are looking forward to, to challenging this. Well, yeah, if, if that happens, I mean, if there's litigation or the attorney general takes action against what the legislature and the governor did, um, what is going to happen? Because, I mean, there was controversy. We haven't even mentioned it. The environmentalists, for instance, think it's a disaster to have this uh, corridor tunnel being built under the straits taking seven to ten years while the pipeline still exists that's there right now and that it's an accident waiting to happen, uh, what will happen in its place? I mean, will the legislature, the new one, the 100th legislature convening in January, have to get together with, let's say, Governor Whitmer and decide how do we fix this? What do we do at this point? Well, it's going to be a hot potato for everybody because keep this in mind, Bill, that uh, there are some very powerful unions who are supportive of the tunnel and and even though Governor-elect Whitmer has indicated her opposition, I think when the chips are down, she's going to be really in, in, a, in, a, in a bind on this. Uh, because, number one, um, uh, it's going to be difficult for her to, 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 to fight you know, the, the strong Democratic-inclined uh, uh, unions. And also, what, what do you do if you strike down the tunnel? So I, I, I think it's a hot potato for her, and, I, and, and it's a, a hot potato for the legislature. Uh, I, don't think, I don't think the legislature is going to do much to change what they uh, perhaps foolishly enacted, but it, 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 it will certainly pose some interesting problems for the new attorney general and, and, the, uh, and the new governor. And I, I think there's no doubt it's going to end up in, in, in litigation, but this, this thing could drag on for some period of time. You think it's possible the legislature could just maybe tweak uh, their defective statute that they just passed with a six-year term uh, portion of it that probably is unconstitutional and just make it a four-year term and say, hey, everything is cool now. We can just go ahead. Provided well, maybe. Governor Whitmer has uh, although her. I'm, I'm inclined to think that they're not going to they're not going to have a, a a stomach for it. Uh, and also, you know, uh, it does take time for things to move through the legislature. By the time uh, a bill is drafted, well, you got to put in the request. That takes forever to get fulfilled. Minutes. Then it's drafted and then it's introduced. I mean, even if the legislature were inclined to do something to do effects, you're looking at probably, I don't know, late May, early June before that could happen. So, uh, Well, it doesn't really make any difference if the tunnel is 
there, not the tunnel, but the line is beneath the straits right now, and it's going to take seven or ten years to put it in the new tunnel. I mean, it might add, you know, a few months to uh, what happens with the tunnel if it ever does get built uh, seven or ten years from now, but it doesn't really, practically speaking, make any uh, difference right now, does it? Well, that that's true, too. Uh, now, another thing to keep in mind is if, if – uh, as I have suggested, the the uh, agreements with Enbridge may not have been validly um, uh, approved be, be, uh, on the argument that the authority itself is invalid because of those constitutional issues. Then, then you've got a situation where the agreements with Enbridge have to be renegotiated, and it may be that the new administration will will uh, require things of Enbridge that Enbridge won't accept, and therefore. Uh, uh, there may not be an agreement with Enbridge under those circumstances. Well, what if what if Enbridge doesn't accept them? Uh, does the state have any authority to basically just order Enbridge to shut down Line Five, or does Enbridge say we got a valid contract with the state? You can't do that. I mean, where are we on this? Is the whole <laughs> idea of a tunnel in the first place a good idea? Some people say this tunnel is a terrible idea. Well, I myself have never taken the position that the tunnel is a bad idea in and of itself. My, my whole beef was, was was the involvement of the Mackinac Bridge. But as as you look more and more at this and see what a what a governance mess has been made of all this, uh, that, that causes you to be a little more a little more sour on the on the tunnel itself. Now, I, I want to also point out that I do know that the uh, attorney general's um, new attorney general's transition team is concerned. That uh, that the agreements that were supposedly approved by the the uh, the uh, t- new tunnel board will somehow uh, be able to survive through some good legal arguments, uh, regardless of what the board did or didn't do. But I I, I myself think that if that if the board was illegally constituted in the first place, I don't I have a hard time seeing how it can be argued that the that uh, that, that the agreements. Uh, uh, do anything but fail. But 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 anyway, there may have to be new agreements with with and new conditions placed on Enbridge that they might not accept. So, uh, I, I guess sort of my bottom line is, uh, I don't think that this issue is uh, is, is settled at all if, that a tunnel is going to be built at this point. Well, let, let's go back to one other thing you said. I, I'm still a little curious about this. You made the argument, and I think Bill Ganaki, who was the chairman of the Mackinac Island Bridge Authority for many years, uh, that it was a very bad idea to give uh, control over the tunnel to the Mackinac Bridge Authority. I guess my question is, if the Mackinac Bridge Authority did such a great job running the bridge all these years, which I think everybody thinks they did, why wouldn't they be uh, a great uh, receptacle for responsibility over the tunnel. I mean, it's like you've already got an entity there with experience, at least in the straits, even though it's above water rather than beneath the water. They did a great job, so let's expand their authority and let them uh, be in charge of the tunnel as well. What's wrong with that? Well, uh, I, I think one of the things is they're very concerned about the legal and monetary liabilities that might flow from that. Uh, they they were concerned that they were being dragged into an arena where liabilities and responsibilities could drag down their efficient operation of the bridge. Uh, they 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 uh, also were 
greatly miffed many of the members that the Snyder administration totally cut them out of the discussions. They weren't even aware that the bridge authority was being considered for this use until literally the 11th hour. And I think they felt a great degree of bitterness, most of the members, with that. And they felt, look, the bridge authority has a unique mission, and you're trying to put us into a whole new field of activity, and we're concerned that if uh, there's financial and other responsibilities that are thrust upon us, it may result in bridge fares having to go way up. Uh, it may result in lawsuits regarding all this that we just don't want to be entangled in. So I think that was a good part of it. And by the way, most of the former members of the Bridge Authority were adamantly opposed to uh, this legislation and let it be known publicly and to the Snyder administration that they were opposed. Okay, we've only got about a minute left, but let me just go way back. And I think we're going to go back to, like, 1953. Isn't that when Enbridge made the deal with the state to put the line under the Straits of Mackinac in the first place? And do you think, uh, you know, that was a good idea? for the state to enter into that kind of an arrangement? Has it been okay up to this point? Well, that's a very good question. I have thought about that a little bit, and I'm not sure I know the answer. Uh, you have to ask what the state has ever gotten out of this. I, I guess one answer would be is that, well, uh, the pipeline has, has pr- provided uh, supply of propane, I guess, to the UP, and that, and that is important. But, but did the taxpayers get anything out of this? I, I don't think they did. And you you, you got to wonder... <laughs> basically how this has benefited, uh, benefited most of the people of Michigan. I'm not sure it has at all. Right. Listen, we could keep talking about this. It's a problem and an issue. Unfortunately, it, it appears it's going to be with us for quite some time. Dennis Cawthorn, I want to thank you very much, uh, Chairman of the Mackinac Island Park Commission, for a record 19 and a half years. Thanks for being a great guest on this very important issue. Thanks, Bill. This is MTN, and you're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. Here's Bill. I'm back, and uh, I want to make a couple of comments about uh, an issue completely separate and different from everything we've talked about on the program today, and that is, you know, Michiganders may be simply more ornery than anywhere else in the country. And I say that because it may be the only way to explain how the Great Lakes state has jumped back to the top of the list in the number of recall elections at all levels of government in 2018. Among the 50 states, we're number one. For the first time in three years, a state other than California led the way in recall efforts during the past calendar year. And it was Michigan with 65 such attempts. According to the online website Ballotpedia, which follows this, it's published by the Lucy Burns Institute in Wisconsin. Uh, California, which is a far bigger state than Michigan, as everybody knows, in population and in landmass, was runner-up with 61, and Arizona came in third with only 27. Across the country during this calendar year, 2018, there were 206 recall efforts uh, targeting 299 officials of the 123 officials who wound up in voters' crosshairs on the ballot. 75 were recalled, while 45 survived. Now, that's a 63% 
success rate, if that's what you want to call it, in purging elected officials by recall. Uh, Looking at those numbers by state population, because obviously some states are much bigger than others, uh, Michigan still ranked third among the 50 states, the only states uh, in terms of population having more recalls per uh, capita in their states were Idaho, number one, and North Dakota, number two. But those were obviously much smaller states with far fewer recalls. Uh, in Michigan, some 30 units of government were impacted. Now, mostly these were townships and city councils and school boards. No state officials were subject to recall in Michigan during calendar year 2018, but we still led the way in total number of recalls. Uh, The most dramatic Michigan recalls occurred in Saugatuck Township on the shores of Lake Michigan and in Williamston Community Schools uh, just east of Lansing. I can go into those in a few minutes if we have time, but Uh, I'd just like to go back in time a little bit, six years. Uh, It appeared back in 2012 that Michigan had permanently lost its title as recall capital of the world because the 96th Michigan legislature, I talked earlier about we're just concluding the 99th Michigan legislature, and we're going to have the 100th Michigan legislature convening in January. But the 96th Michigan legislature... Remember, these are two-year sessions of the legislature uh, during 2011-2012. They performed major surgery on the state's recall statute during another famous lame duck session that also enacted right-to-work laws and reinstituted an emergency manager statute after voters had rejected the previous law in a statewide referendum just a couple of months earlier. Now, at the time, critics of Michigan's century-old recall law argued that recalls had gotten out of control in Michigan. Why did they say that? Because a Citizens Research Council report found that 457 state and local elected officials in Michigan had faced recall elections between calendar year 2000 at the turn of the century and 2011. And that was far more than any other state up to that time. Far more, for instance, than California. The average number of elected officials facing recall elections each year between 2000 and 2011 was approximately 38 in Michigan, only 18 in runner-up California, and 10 in third-place Arizona. But in the year following the legislature's surgery on our recall law in 2012, beginning in 2013, Michigan recall law, the number of officials facing recall dropped precipitously to single digits. And so everybody said, oh, well, we've really fixed that problem if that's what it was with too many recall elections but obviously people on the other side would say you know what Uh, maybe we've made it too tough to recall people and uh, now we're going to be dropping back to the point where it's impossible to get rid of officials we don't like well now guess what six years later the number has soared back up again in Michigan to the point 
where we're now number one in the nation with, as I said, 65 recall elections in the past year. And the question is why? Uh, Recall was first introduced in Michigan, by the way, with the adoption of a 1913 amendment uh, to the 1908 Michigan Constitution at a time when initiative and referendum fever was sweeping the nation. Uh, The 1913 amendment uh, provided that all elected officials, except judges, would be subject to recall. And to invoke recall, signatures equal to 25% of the total vote cast for governor in the most recent election in a particular jurisdiction were required. So, uh, going forward, uh, what did Michigan's recall law look like? The one that's been effect uh, for the last six years. Well, we had up until uh, 2012 one of three model recall laws adopted by many states. The other two were the California model and the Wisconsin model. Uh, Michigan's new and current recall law looks like a modified Wisconsin model, but with some key differences, and here they are. The time to collect recall signatures was shortened from 90 days under the old law to only 60 days, and that's the same time period as Wisconsin and six other states. Also, Officials subject to recall must have an opponent instead of being subject to a yes or no vote. And the candidate with the highest number of votes in the recall election wins that office for the balance of the term. Uh, Also, recall petitions cannot be filed against officials with two-year terms in the first six months or the last six months of their terms. Officials with four-year terms cannot have recall petitions filed against them in the first year or the last year of their terms in office. Elected officials are spared, therefore, from facing more than one recall during their terms of office. Also, Michigan's current law at the state level automatically advances the official whose recall is being sought to the general election recall ballot. Opponents in Michigan are chosen in a separate primary election or at the partisan local level, if at the local level you have party affiliation involved, by a political party's executive committee. In Wisconsin, petitioners seeking the recall of a state-level official are not required to state any reason for recall. Michigan, however, in its law, boasts a reason requirement, although that has been somewhat watered down from the old law. Michigan holds recall elections only on three regularly scheduled election dates each year, whereas Wisconsin law mandates holding special recall elections. Now, some people might ask, uh, what about governor? Uh, Well, you know, despite Michigan's new law, our governor is still subject to the old yes or no recall vote. The way the statute reads now, there can be no opponent facing off against the governor in a recall election. Why is that? Because the Michigan Constitution provides that if the governor vacates the office, it is the lieutenant governor who shall then be governor. Garland Gilchrist, are you listening? To provide otherwise would require a constitutional amendment, not a change in the recall law. 
Now, I'm just going to mention briefly, in Saugatuck and Williamson, those were the two really big recalls we had at the local level this year. Uh, The issue in Saugatuck was whether the incumbent officials should have fired their township manager for offensive behavior instead of simply reprimanding him. Uh, And the ousted officials evidently got the ax because they were too soft on the manager. Uh, In Williamston, four of seven school board members were targeted after the panel adopted new policies related to gender identity in bathroom and locker room use. Three of the four survived the recall, but the board president lost. That's it for this week and this year. And thank you for listening. I'll be back in 2019.